Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm Coach Andrew Poretz from Ingenuity Coaching. I help people to discover and fulfill their passions and greatness. My mission, to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams, and with my coaching, help you to manifest those dreams into reality. You can visit my website at myfuturecoach.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach Andrew. If you're listening live and you have a question, the phone number is 646-929-2893. If you call in, you'll be able to listen on the phone, and if you press the number one, I'll know you have a question, and you must press the number one or I won't know. There's also a live chat room that's right now on the show page where people can join in, uh, and uh, you can talk amongst yourself. You can ask me questions, and I will monitor that room. My guest tonight is Broadway and TV legend Carol Demas. Carol created the iconic role of Sandy on Broadway in Greece. Her 56-plus years in the biz include thousands of leading roles on and off Broadway in regional theaters and as a guest star in numerous TV series, recently Blue Bloods and Allegiance. She originated the title role in the Los Angeles premiere production of Stephen Schwartz's The Baker's Wife. She played Louisa in The Fantastics in New York City for two years, starred in Showstoppers, the best of Broadway on PBS, on TV, The the Magic Garden for 12-plus years and a couple of specials, over 200 TV commercials, often singing and on camera, her career has been highlighted in Shermer Citadel and Applause Books, more recently Broadway Gypsy of the Year, Town Hall Broadway Originals, Merkin Hall Off-Broadway Close-Up. I mean, this is, goes on and on. And more importantly, right now, this week, if you are anywhere near New York City, Carol's going to be performing in my friend Richard Skipper's Richard Skipper Celebrates May 25th show at the Triad Theater in New York. Now, for more information about Carol, you can visit her website at caroldemus.com. Carol, are you with me? I am with you. And before we say anything else, I need to thank you for that wonderful introduction and just to say that I really wish that I had played thousands of leading roles, but it was thousands of performances in leading roles, which is a little bit different. Did I say thousands of leading roles? I, I might have gotten carried away. I think so. And, you know, wouldn't that be amazing? I'd have to be like a couple of hundred years old. But, oh, um, sometimes I feel that years. way, but not right now. <laughs> 56 plus years, and you're only 29, which is the amazing, the I amazing know. part. It's true. It's just astonishing. I know. I never was very good at math. So. Uh, well, I, I have my two hooves that do all my math work for me. I need that. <laughs> yeah, like from the, the late Mr. Ed. Um so I, you have such a, a very you know, unusual uh, history in, in entertainment and also um, a, as a teacher, correct? Yes. So uh, I've, I've actually, uh, I would say you're probably the one of the more unusual um, guests I've had. Uh, I have just given out that introduction is a fraction I mean, I could probably do just an introduction for half an hour, and we just about get rid of get through all the things you've ever done, which is very amazing. But I'd like to go back, wind up to the beginning a little bit, if we could. Sure. So, how did we get you? How 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 have we been blessed with you? Well, that's a very nice thing to say. I feel that I've been blessed uh, because. When I was a little girl, I kind of thought it might be fun to be 
I, I use actress still because I'm old school, so I hope people out there who prefer the term actor um, will understand that it's 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 changed, and I, I'm sure. working on it. Uh, when I was a they little, they still have those categories in the in, in the awards. Yes. So right, right, a lot of reasons. Um, but when I was a little girl, my sister and brothers and I and our cousins, when we would get together, which was often because my very earliest years were were during World War II, because I was born in 1940, and most of the men in our family, in fact, 11 of them, were gone to war. Mm. And somehow or other, despite the fact that nobody had a desk job, uh, they all came home, maybe not just the same as they were when they left, but in the meantime, the women, my aunts and my mother, would get you know together to try and hold each other up and make it through those years. And so we grew up in this pile of cousins, which was a lot like having one great big family. They were like siblings. I have a sister and two brothers, and there were a lot of cousins. I have 27 first cousins, not all still living, but that's how it was back then. So I, we used to put on you know the usual plays in the living room <laughs> that kids do. Um, and... I really loved doing that, but I never imagined that I would make a life in it because I really wasn't that confident. Mm. And I'd, I'd been blessed, speaking of blessings, with a voice, a, a really an instrument that, you know, you you can work on it to make it better, you can learn how to use it well, but it, it's a gift from the start, if you're lucky, and I was lucky. My did you know? brother was, that, too. And when it started, did you know when you first started singing, oh, I have a gift? No. <laughs> no. My Neither of my parents were professional singers. My mother mm-hmm. was an RN and my father was a lawyer. They both had really lovely, natural voices. My mother used to sing around the house. My father sang in a glee club and in a quartet and when their friends would come over you know, the house would just ring with vocal music but I just thought everybody was like that mm. and I, I really didn't know that that my voice was special and ultimately we discovered that my youngest brother Alex Demas's voice was too and he became one of the great voice sopranos in this country and his recordings are in the archives in the Smithsonian um, but my parents, you know, were both first-generation Americans. My mother's parents came from Poland. My father's parents came from Greece. They didn't speak English at home as children. There was no show business background. It was just that music was kind of in our bodies and in our mm-hmm. hearts. But we had, I, I couldn't even imagine, you know, something like actually being a professional performer. When my parents would sometimes ask me to sing for their friends, I had to go, and let and get my father to promise that I could sing in the next room and they would all stay in the room they were in <laughs> because if I looked at them I was too terrified and I would just my voice would just lock down and I couldn't I just couldn't sing so no I didn't know <laughs> you want to hear something funny when I when I was a kid uh and my parents would get my brother and me to try to sing and uh for my grandparents and I would make my grandparents hide their heads <laughs> well it's well, there. See, we're kindred spirits in a way because it was the same. That's the same kind of thing. You just, 
I couldn't be presentational. I couldn't even be present. I just, I, I liked to sing, and I, I enjoyed it. And I, I think from an early age, I felt this kind of thing that happens to singers, you know, inside mm-hmm. your body and your mind and your heart when you're, when you're doing what you were maybe born to do or one of the things you were possibly born to do. Mm-hmm. But I. It, it it came along because it was just kind of inevitable, I think. But you, and this, what you, then you went into teaching first. Well, yes, but that was a practical matter. I um, I finished high school at Midwood mm-hmm. High School in Brooklyn, and I graduated in 1957. And I won at graduation the Creative Writing Award, which I didn't even know existed. But I wrote well, and I thought maybe I was going to be a writer you could hide while you did that you know so that was kind of safer and i think part of that was because i was just one of those late bloomers when i started high school i was four foot nine wow and i looked about eight (laughs) and in the in the 50s you might as well you know give it all up right there because all anybody ever really wanted was to look older i guess all kids do but in the 50s it was especially important and I just wasn't getting there. I grew two inches in college, and I never got really tall. I mean, I was about five three and three quarters at my tallest. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm, I'll be seventy six in a couple of days. I've lost a little over an inch in height, so I, you know, I've never been really big. But I, I'm lost my. I've almost lost my way here with with this. But I was very, you know, I was very small, and I was, I was very young, and I looked like such a baby. I had absolutely no confidence, and I was discussing Greece and how art imitates life sometimes with a friend who didn't really know that I was Sandy. No wonder I played her. Uh, I, I knew exactly who she was. I didn't go to my prom. I really, it really was a raining on prom night. I didn't go to my prom because nobody asked me. Oh. And and then, you know, in college, I, I found my way. Uh-huh. So I would like for this part of our conversation to be um, hopeful, perhaps. I don't know if you have young people, really young people, listening to your show, but, you know, there's always a chance that things will change and your your path will will be clear after a while. Sometimes it just takes time. Sure. Yes, when your time is, it's your time, you know. So I I started teaching because, first of all, I had fallen in love in college with a man who was in school on the GI Bill. He was a little older, and I had discovered that I could play roles and not be so terrified, and so I was very lucky to have a mentor whose name was Greg Falls in a school, the University of Vermont, where there wasn't a big deal about the theater, really, but he began a real theater situation there and started to cast me in, you know, in roles in college productions, and I realized that being somebody else, being Julie in Carousel or Michaela in Carmen or, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, Fiona in Brigadoon and those things, suddenly it, it, it was possible. Because it wasn't just me; it was 
me bringing myself to this character. But I, I loved this man. Our marriage didn't last, but he was going to law school. And I really needed to help him through law school. And I didn't exactly expect that I was going to take New York by storm the minute I graduated. So in my last semester at the University of Vermont, I used my electives to take early childhood education courses. I loved kids, and I loved working with them and telling them stories and singing with them and for them. So that just seemed a natural. And then I went to graduate school at NYU Graduate School of Education, and I got enough additional credits to take the required test to be a teacher in those days. This was the very early 60s when they really needed teachers. Mm-hmm. I didn't even complete the master's. I got the necessary credits, and I passed the test, and I started teaching. And my first teaching job was at PS 198 in Brooklyn, where I had gone to grammar school. So wow. that, was, that was really pretty unusual. But um, the kindergarten teacher, who had been the kindergarten teacher of my younger sister and my two younger brothers, but not of me because we weren't in that area at that time. There was no kindergarten where we were moving around trying to keep up with my dad in the service, and then he finally went overseas. But there I was teaching as a kindergarten teacher in the same kindergarten room, filling in for the same teacher who was ill for a semester as my younger sister and brothers had had as their teacher when they were little. So that's pretty crazy. But it was very sweet, and and it just felt like a really good fit to teach. And and how long were you teaching? Not really long. Not really long. Um, What happened was that my dear friend Paula Janis, who was then Paula Rosen, um, was, was also heading for that for a teaching career, and she and I met each other again. We'd sort of been in touch, but we, we really bonded again in graduate school because we ended up taking the same courses. We had met as sophomores at Midwood High School in 1954, and this time when we met again was 1957-58, and we started going back and forth on the subway together and going to the same classes, she ended up teaching, getting a teaching job at PS7 in Brooklyn, which is a crumbling old building that had been reopened for a need, out of need for school buildings. It had been built in 1882, and this was kind of mean, but people used to tease us and say that we were the only teachers who didn't come with the building. Anyway, um, she, she was... Uh, she got a job teaching in a double enrollment kindergarten. So there would be two teachers and a, and a double enrollment of kids in the morning and then again in the afternoon, a total of about 100 children through the day with these two teachers. And the teacher she was supposed to teach with was pregnant. And in those days, you weren't allowed to teach if you were pregnant. Mm. It was the dark ages so the principal called her and said that she wasn't going to be teaching with the teacher she expected, and he was looking for somebody, and it was almost time for school to start, and he was quite desperate. And she said, I have somebody for you. And she called me and said, get down here right away. So I did. And I had an interview with him, and he hired me. 
So Paula and I ended up teaching, this was in September of 1962, in this double enrollment kindergarten in the old Brooklyn Navy Yard District, which was a really rough area at that Mm. time. And the children mostly lived in these horrible tenements or in an equally horrible housing project. A lot of them didn't speak English. None of them had had any previous schooling, you know, no kindergarten, no nursery school. They were scared to death. The only institutional building they'd ever been in was to, you know, go to the hospital or something. Well. So they were, <laughs> they all walked in, sat down, and started crying immediately. <laughs> but, and we decided that the way to reach them was with, with music, with stories, with, you know, ways to make them feel better about each other and about us so that we could reach them with the material that it was our obligation to uh, give them so that they could be prepared for first grade. But first we had to put them at ease. And we spent that year discovering what fun it was for the two of us to sing together and to teach together. And that became, in a way, the basis of the Magic Garden television show 10 years later. And then I got a job, which came out of a crazy thing we did, which was we sent a letter to Joe Papp at the Shakespeare Festival in New York, because I had done two years during college of singing as a minstrel for the Champlain Shakespeare Festival. And we were wondering while we were waiting online, that endless line, the Delacorte, why don't they have minstrels here? Because they had them in the other Shakespeare festivals. You mm-hmm. know, they just kind of stroll the grounds and keep people happy. And here were all these people waiting in all of these nice green grass and nobody's singing on it. So if we had had any brains at all, we'd have known that it was just probably the most incomprehensible thing to do, to send a letter to Joe Papp. But we did. And a couple of weeks later, they responded and told us that they wanted us to come and do an audition for them. I confess that in the letter we told them that our brothers sang and that we sang as a group which we hadn't really done yet. I sang with Paula. She sang with her brother. I sang with my brother. But we'd never opened our mouths together. So I got material in our uh, voice ranges, our vocal ranges, based on stuff that I had done with the Champlain Shakespeare Festival from the same arranger, this lovely head of the music department at the University of Vermont. I said, could you just send me like three or four songs, this one and this one and this one, I think we could do them, and, and, and could you you know, possibly arrange them for four voices? Well, he was happy to do it, and he just cranked it out by hand and pencil, all these copies, and sent them. And the four of us got together, and we opened our mouths together, and we just started laughing because the blend was so great, we could hardly believe it. But it was a genetic thing. And so we started singing on the line in the park. And then the parks commissioner got a little ruffled because a lot of people were coming to hear us who weren't going to the festival. So they moved us inside. They gave us sound, and they gave us lights, and they gave us a half hour before every performance at the Delacorte. And we just, you know, started making the crowd happy, and the actors loved it because crowd was warmed up when they got on stage and uh, you know people see you there so a manager of a of a folk group 
who was looking for a lead singer who could play an instrument, tapped Paula, because she was playing the guitar for us. A lot of it was mm-hmm. a cappella, and the rest was just guitar. And a, a bunch of different agents called me, and several of them wanted to send me up for a role that had been um, a search. They were still looking for months and months. And they'd gone to Chicago, I was told, and they'd gone to Los Angeles, and they still couldn't find this ingenue lead for Fred Ebb's first book musical, which was with Paul Klein, a different partner than the candor that he ended up with. Mm-hmm. And um, I went up to do an audition from one of these agents just to see what it was like. I discussed it with my husband, and we decided it couldn't hurt just to know what this was like. So I went up and and did it, and I got it. So now there was this dilemma. Do I go back to PS7, or do I take my first off-Broadway ingenue lead? Because <laughs> you know what the decision was. And the show, Morning Sun, starred Bert Convy um, as the juvenile, and I, you know, I was the ingenue. And um, Patricia Newway, who had done the Mother Abbess in Sound of Music, and who was an opera star, was the star. And it was a really interesting and in some places really beautiful piece of work, but it was pretty grim. Mm. And the critics didn't really like it. So then I had my first experience with putting your heart and soul into a show in New York and having it close fast. And, and, no, and, job. You were, and no job. Yeah. <laughs> so I started subbing. Probably the worst thing you could do to yourself vocally, <laughs> being a substitute teacher. Because you do a lot of yelling. Yeah, especially when you walk <laughs> in and you look like you know a pushover. And um, I still look really young. I had to borrow my younger sister's clothes to do the audition in because my teacher clothes were all I really had. We didn't have much money. And they definitely weren't right for this 17-year-old girl that I was auditioning to play. So um, I I learned. I learned how to handle it. And there were times when I would get a job that would last a little while. I know I had a sixth grade for about a month somewhere in Brooklyn. I think the only way that I really managed it, because it was also a tough place, was that some of the boys in the sixth grade had been there for a while. Oh, <laughs> gosh. They were, they were like their third time around in the sixth grade. <laughs> because... The school just didn't feel ready to send them on to junior high school. And so they were, you know, they were growing up. And I just think they kind of took a shine to me. So they behaved themselves. Thank God. I have to ask you, have you had the experience of having somebody that was one of your kids finding you and knowing who you became? This is the strangest thing. But... It hasn't. It hasn't really happened, and it and it hasn't really happened for Paula either. And she went on to teach for a couple of decades. And she said, "Don't you think it's really strange? You know, the Magic Garden got on the air, and all these people uh-huh. grew up with it, and and we we hear from them all the time. I mean, the the letters that come in are just amazing to know that you." 
that you touched people this way and that you made such a difference for them mm-hmm. and that you're still in their hearts. I mean, it's just extraordinary and not anything we imagined. Finally, Paula got a picture. It came through our email, you know, which is on our website, which is carolandpaula.com. Mine, by the way, is caroldemas.com, right. where we list everything we're up to, no good or good or whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, this this person who wrote is a teacher now at the Bronx High School of Science, you know, which is a rather elite high school, a really important and serious high school. And she's a Spanish teacher there. And she was a student in Paula's kindergarten class in the school that she taught in in Yonkers and was remembering Paula and how much of a difference Paula made for her as a teacher. And she just wanted to let us know wanted to, how much she loved the Magic Garden and how important Paula had been to her. And could there possibly be a way that, you know, Paula might be able to come to her school and maybe sing a song in Spanish? Paula knows a little Spanish. Mm. And we used to sing songs in the Magic Garden in other languages. Paula had done a lot more traveling than I had, and she was better with languages, you know, but I, I could sort of work around it, work it out. I did study some Spanish and some French in high school. But we we are going to the Bronx High School of Science in June to sing for this former student's class, and they're all very excited, and the principal has decided it can't just be her class since we're coming and they're all thrilled. These kids don't have any idea who we are. I mean, they're yeah. But it's exciting anyway because we are who we are, and we're we're just going to do it, and and it's a really sweet thing to be able to do it. That 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 is absolutely wonderful. By the way, are you familiar with there's a website called nycmagicgarden.com that that has New York parties that you have to be a New Yorker to be invited. Is that still going on? Uh, as far we as I know. The website is still up. I, t- I took a look. I know I used to. I haven't gotten an invitation in a while, but you, that's like the secret keyword. So that's the magic garden was the thing that puts that all together. When I tell Paula that you told me this, she will be she will be delighted because we were in touch for a little while, but it was way back earlier when it began with the person who started it. And at one point we were supposed to go there, and then something happened. There was some kind of conflict. It never worked out. So, but I, mean, I it didn't says know it's it was still there. Being revamped, it's under construction. Please, but it's, it's still the all these various things there, and uh, I I haven't gotten one in a while. But uh, but uh, as far as I know, it's still around, and they have them. I think now also in a couple of other cities. I well, think. you know, we we really understand about these fans because we're still meeting them, and who who would think? that you would do something like this and, you know, give it the very best you had, but that people would be remembering it in the way that they do. We get letters that are really letters with pictures of people's children and these heartfelt messages about how much we meant to them and how much we changed their lives. I became a teacher because of you. I became a musician because of you. I was a lonely child. You were my only friends. I was bullied. I was fat. I was, you know, and and 
you you know you were the you were where I went in the magic garden and you were were there for me and I always felt like it wasn't a show like we were having a visit the show was in real time mm. and the the script was an outline not a heavily scripted dialogue that that all came from us a lot of the outline did too but the point is that it really felt like a half hour visit and that's what people remember they said it was so so different because it felt so real and when they find out that the friendship that they believed in and that they were a part of when they were watching us wasn't made up for television mm-hmm. that it was a real friendship and it still is we've been friends for um, I always have to figure it out because the time keeps going by I think it's 62 years uh, wow 62 years yes you're did you say 62? 6'2", yes. We've been friends wow. since 1954. You are friends longer than I am alive. Well, you know, I hope for, for anybody a friendship like this. It's, we, if we don't see each other every day, we do speak every day. And we've continued all these years to work together. And Paula has been wonderfully supportive of my career outside of our magic garden work together. Uh, so when I do, sometimes when I do my, my own um, cabaret shows, for instance, and I love having her as a guest. You know, we'll, we'll do a little something together, and the magic garden fans who turn up are so thrilled to see us together. And they never imagined sitting in a club with a drink in their hands, you know, seeing Carol and Paula on the oh, stage. Oh, wow. That's really cute. Well, you know, I have a, happen to have a couple of pieces of music here um, that uh, both of you are involved with. And uh, one, I'd really like you to just tell briefly this, uh, a brief story about You started to allude to it the, with the Shakespeare. Yes. Um, and I have, uh, if, I'm, if I understand this correctly, I don't think anybody's ever heard this before. Probably not, unless they were present in the park. Um in the early '60s, when we sang it, we, but this I, is from the uh, from a from the from a uh, a recording. Uh, you went into a recording studio, and uh, and made some recordings that really hadn't been used, and now they've been restored. We're just working on that. Just working on them. We're so just nobody. working on it. No, no, no. It's certainly never been played over the air before. There's a handful of us that have heard this version that my husband, Stuart Allen, I am, he's such a great sound man, I had to marry him, that's all. (laughs) We've been together 35 years and married for 33, and I just think I'm so, so lucky. We each had a copy of this, each of the four of us, Paula's brother and Paula, and my brother and me. Uh, We had tapes from this recording session, which wasn't meant to be a release. It was just something we wanted to do so we would have a, a record, not a recording, but, you know, a document of, of our repertoire that we had developed over a couple of years of singing for the Shakespeare Festival. Mm-hmm. So we went into this recording studio that was at the top of the old St. George Hotel in Brooklyn, and we just sang. Some of it is really like a runaway train because we... <laughs> Because mm-hmm. the time was expensive, and we had a lot of songs to sing, and we just sang them, and we each went away with a copy, and as 
luck would have it, or bad luck would have it, it's so strange. Um, my brother Alex's stone house in Massachusetts, where he now lives, burned down, and so his copy was gone. Paula's house in Scarsdale burned down in the mid-'90s, and so hers was gone. Mine was out in Los Angeles in the house that I shared at the time with my then-boyfriend, Jeff Conaway, and that house burned, and that my copy burned. And the St. George Hotel, where the master copy was, had a big fire, and the studio burned down, and so the master was, was gone. And the only one left was a not-very-well-preserved tape that Paula's brother had. And he gave it to Stuart, and Stuart has been working on it to restore it. So that's what you're going to play. And then uh, make sure I'm getting the correct one here. This is How Merrily We Live, correct? Yeah, it's a, just a, it's a, it's a little madrigal that goes by real fast, but you can see um, the joy and, and the blend and the musicianship. And, and when you're here, what you're hearing is, I think it's 1963, which means that Paula and I were 23, her brother was about 20, and my brother was 17. Wow. Okay, so here in the Coach's Corner exclusive, How Merrily We Live. I'm also going to remind anybody who's listening, I have a couple of uh, people who have uh, called in. If you want to ask a question, press 1 on your phone, and then a little question mark or something will come up, and I will see that there's somebody with a question. Otherwise, I'll assume you're just listening for now. Um, I also would like to play the other song that you gave me that has Paula on it before we move into uh, the up-to-date stuff to get people an idea of what you're doing now. Um, So I have a song that's you and Paula called Where Have You Been, Billy Boy? Could you tell me a little bit about this? Well, Billy Boy 
is an old rhyme and an old song. And um, Paula and I made several, made three albums together um, out of the Magic Garden experience. This one doesn't have Magic Garden in it, but it is the a lot of the classic songs and rhymes of childhood done in in numerous musical styles, and it was a Grammy nominee. So this one, we released this in the early, mid-'80s, um, and so it's called Musical Goose on the Loose, and if anybody likes it and would like to have one, if it's okay for me to plug it. Uh, Absolutely. We It is available um, on the shop page, you know, the merchandise page, at carolandpaula.com. So this is a a real pretty little arrangement of this wonderful old song, Billy Boy. The arrangement is sort of a collaboration um, based on something that was begun by my musical director, Ian Herman, who's just one of the most amazingly talented people on earth. And he started working with Paula and me back then. And my husband, Stuart, contributed to the arrangement, as, as did I. We all did. So that's what you're you're going to hear. And I also wanted I I wanted to tell you that when I I've met every time I've mentioned what I'm about to do, uh, and I've mentioned the Magic Garden. Believe it or not, every people are going nuts. And I said to one of my friends, "Have you ever heard of the Magic Garden?" And she goes, "Oh yeah, that was with Carol Demas, and then she went on. She was in Greece, and the, she went like, wow. So it's, it's isn't that, it? That's pretty cool. It is. Believe me. It, it's delightful. It's it's amazing. It makes you feel like you did something good in your life. You done good, kid. It's a and good now, feeling. It is. <laughs> we got from New York City, the teachers, the Magic Garden Goyles. Um, I'm just being silly. Carol and Paula, where have you been, Billy Boy?
Oh, that was beautiful. It's a pretty song, isn't it? You know, yeah. It's one of those songs that's been around for at least a couple of hundred years. Oh, since I'm a kid. Yeah. Yeah. All that, all, all those uh, centuries ago. <laughs> all those centuries ago. That's right. Before I got my time machine, get back from the shop. <laughs> so, uh, so let's let's move forward a bit. So you you uh, obviously made a big switch from the. Uh, the Magic Garden into uh, a, a higher level of entertainment. Well, the Magic Garden actually came after um, some of the other things. Ah, okay. Between the time that I stopped teaching, which was mm-hmm. probably around 1973 or in there, uh, the last time I was I substitute I was a sub teacher. Um, I went to Milwaukee to the Milwaukee Rep, and I played Louisa in the Fantastics there. Um, I went to the Penn State Rep, and I played um, Regina in Another Part of the Forest, which was a you know a heavy dramatic role and and great fun for me. And Philia in Forum, which you know I was. You know the kind, exactly the kind of ingenue you'd cast in that, and in a, and a wonderful review called "Oh, What a Lovely War" that isn't done anymore, um, that I know of, but it had some great stuff in it. Um, I, I was saying, I've been saying '70s, and I'm, <laughs> I just can't remember that I have to go back another decade. I'm talking about the '60s here. Mm. When I was at the University of Vermont in 1960, when the Fantastics opened. Greg Falls, who I mentioned earlier, and his wife, Jean, who is now 92 and still living, God bless her, went to the city and saw the Fantastics, and it it was brand new, and they brought the recording back to school, and they invited me over, and they said, we have to play this for you, because you're going to play this role somewhere, someday. It's just got to be, but... Unfortunately, you probably won't be able to see it in New York because the reviews were very mixed, and we don't know if it's going to run. Of course, the Fantastics is now celebrating this year its 56th birthday, and um, I'm singing "Try to Remember" from it with um, in a in a nice little duet with my dear friend Sarah Rice, who was the original Joanna in Sweeney Todd. We're singing this in Richard Skipper's show on Wednesday night at the Triad, and I'm also singing some other things. But just imagine, after um, that that time when they played that for me, and I went on to do, you know, the Shakespeare Festival and then Morning Mm -hmm. Sun and and these repertory companies and whatever, I auditioned to replace Louisa in the Fantastics at the Sullivan Street Playhouse, and I got it. And I played Louisa from 1966 until 1968. Um, shortly after that, I was in um, a, a musical, an off-Broadway musical, cast as the ingenue lead op- opposite Clifton Davis, who is now playing the Sultan on Broadway in Aladdin. Um, we were two kids in the Chicago riots in this show called How to Steal an Election, which did have a cast album, but it was only on vinyl. Stuart recently made some CDs for me because he he was looking around for a vinyl that wasn't a mess, 
mm-hmm. and some fan <laughs> had one and made a you know something for us to work with never heard of this person in our lives people are so amazing they're so great sent us this so that we could do this and we we could have it um i started doing some television i did a route 66 do you remember route 66 oh yeah you know, remember that? Went down to Florida and shot a role in Route 66. And then there was another show called NYPD that starred Frank Converse. Oh, yes. I love and Frank I, Converse. You know, and I did a role on that. And I did a pilot um, which didn't sell. And I started doing commercials in black and white. The first ones that I did were in black and white. Mm. And so, you know, it was doing all of that stuff and I played Louisa for two years and then I would cover it for them and go in off and on to play it and it just so you know time went by and all of these all of these things were happening I did another show called Rondelay that was first built, uh, was based on the Rond um, and that did not run but it a lot of it was was really good and fun and Jacques Jacques D'Amboise, who was one of the great, great dancers, ballet dancers, one of the greatest mm-hmm. of our time, was the choreographer. And Cyril Richard directed it, and they met some great people doing that. You know, stuff just kept coming along. So WPIX was looking for someone to host a cartoon show. This was in the late, in the early 70s. So now we're moving ahead to the 70s. And yes. They were up for license renewal, and there was a Children's Television Act in place at that time that required stations to air a certain number of hours per week of quality programming for children. And they were trying to put together something of their own to um, make sure that they met these requirements. And so they called me in to interview me to host a show, and... I was thinking when I talked to them that, you know, a car- a cartoons are fun, but this doesn't necessarily sound to me like it meets their obligation. What if they tried to do something a little better? <laughs> and I thought of Paula right away, of course, because we were still really close friends at that time, and she was still teaching. And I thought, you know, this is the perfect thing. Because they wanted someone with television experience, which Paula didn't have. But I had that part, and I had some teaching experience, and she had, by this time, the equivalent of a Ph.D. in early childhood education. So what better team? You know, the singing that we had done together, and we'd sung for the Shakespeare Festival, and she'd been a folk singer. So I suggested this. They they weren't sure, because this wasn't what they were thinking about, and they... They really wanted television people, and, I, and they said, "Well, show us what you know, what you got." So we we went in and did an audition for them. We made up something, put the, put it together. Paula did most of it because I was doing some eight show a week thing at the time. I can't remember which one it was. And we went in and did it, and then we didn't hear from them. And we found out later that they loved the idea so much that they felt they really ought to see other people. But they came back to us said nobody had your chemistry nobody has what you two have we want we want to do a show with you and they put us together with one of their staff writers virginia martin and 
they, and a, a writer who had done a lot of children's television and was with my agent. And we started putting our heads together, you know, to to build an idea, some ideas to, for this show. Uh, we did a pilot which wasn't all the way there yet, but it, you know, well, that's not a big problem. They were still, they still really wanted to do it. It was more of a learning experience than anything. But finally, you know, the Magic Garden was born, and by that time, I was playing Sandy in the original Broadway production of Grease. We were already in previews by that time. So the only way that I could shoot the Magic Garden was on my one day off. We opened on February 14, 1972, and we did five shows over every weekend, and then on Monday... I would stagger into WPIX, having gotten up at 5, and we would shoot the Magic Garden. And since a lot of it was very freewheeling, Paula and I had certain points we had to hit. You know, we had three minutes to discuss this, and four minutes to do that, and mm-hmm. you know, two minutes to sing this song. And, and we just, we finished each other's sentences, you know, for like almost 20 years already <laughs> by that time. Who came so, up with the name, the Magic Garden? You know, I think it it came out of a couple of of changes. It was, and it's hard it's hard to say. So much of this was collaborative that it's really hard to say. I could I couldn't tell you for sure. It was going to be Magic Roofs or something. It, it was at first we were thinking about making it really geared towards city kids. And that a roof top would be, you know, more familiar to them. Right. And that sure. there would be a roof garden there. And then they, we decided to um, to bring it down to earth, if you want to call the plastic grass that we played on earth. We got such cute things from people who sent us pictures. We wore mics with wires, a lot of wires. That's the way they were then. And we had them strapped. We had the the battery portion of it was strapped to our legs. Well, some portion of it that was strapped to our legs. And then, you know, a wire went up and a little microphone was up somewhere near your chest, your head. But what was strapped to the leg was attached to a lot of cable, which we had to drag along behind us the entire time that we moved around. And people who watched it, who, you know, would catch us stepping on each other's cables, and you know, suddenly one of us would have to stop dead because we were we were tripping each other up. It was, it was sort of hilarious. But when you think about it, it was a lot like what was going on with Greece on stage, because we didn't wear body mics. We had wired mics, handheld wired mics, and we rehearsed for weeks with blocks of wood and clothesline tied to them so that we could choreograph the paths of all that cable on stage and not get it all tangled up. So that's, uh, that's, that wasn't so different. Every, it seemed like I spent an entire year worrying about my cables. Well, uh, speaking of worrying about ta- uh, things, uh, we're, believe it or not, we only have about eight minutes left, so I want to make sure we get to... Uh, another song, 
And I'd like to play one of the songs that you're going to be singing on Wednesday night. Yes. Um, and which one is is which one is it's the one? It's advice to a young firefly. Advice to a young firefly. By Sam Carner and Derek Greger, who are currently writing up a storm. They've done off-Broadway shows. They've they've won awards. Um, they are they're going to be around a long time, and they are going to be truly, truly remembered. And with their permission, we're singing. This is live in Tudor City Park last fall. I'm also singing in Tudor City Park on Wednesday night. Before I go to do Richard Skipper's show at the Triad at 8 o'clock, I'm singing in Tudor City Park at 6.30. It's going to be a crazy, crazy night. And I'm, uh, and I'm grateful to Sam and Derek for their friendship now and for this song. So we're going to play this, and we'll just have a, about a minute and a half left when we come back, and this is a nice, okay. long song. It is, but it's Sit a song back. about the leap of faith that we all need to be brave enough to take in life. I like that. So sit back, relax, and listen to Carol Dina. Out in the meadow one night On a thin blade of grass Sat a young firefly Scared of emitting his light For fear he would die His mother had warned him That badgers and bears all will be drawn to your spark. They'll love it, but not know quite why. And they'll make you their mark. A cricket who fiddled nearby saw him there waiting and said, Brother, how can you hide all your light deep inside when you look so dim? So shines firefly into the darkness. Never let them steal your dance. Be our guide till the morning. Fill this black expanse. Just be the light that we've been waiting
I'm going to cut the song yeah. short because, uh, you know, we can't give the whole thing away. Um, and well, I would if really you want like to hear the rest, you have to come to the triad. You have to come Thursday to the night. triad. <laughs> and so I would like to talk about that right now. So uh, we've mentioned it a few times, but I'm so excited because, uh, first of all, I'm going to get to see you live. I'm going to get to see a bunch of people, but I get to see you. So uh, I want you to come. If you are in New York... Uh, and I know we have people all the way across the world, but if you're anywhere near New York, please celebrate with us on Wednesday, May 25th. That's two days from now to Triad. Richard Skipper celebrates May 25th. It's a new talk variety show. And look, to throw a great party, you need great guests, and we've got them. Richard will be joined by Carol Demas, who's celebrating her birthday. Christopher Lowe, Carolyn Montgomery Ferrant, Gretchen Reinhagen, who has been on my show, Adam B. Shapiro, Leslie Orofino, Wen- Wendy Sherl, Carol Scarimbus, accompanied by Larry Woodard, and a mystery guest. I'm not going to tell you who it is. You have uh, Michael Levine, the musical director, on piano, Jeff Carney on bass, and Donna Kelly, percussion, celebrating the many gems of May 25th. It's an 8 p.m. show. Now, you can go to richardskipper.com slash celebrates. And reservations are a must. You can call 888-596-1027. That's 888-596-1027 to purchase tickets. Or you can do it at triadnyc.com. So I would like to thank you, Carol Demas, for spending an hour with me. It has been delightful. I wish I had made this a two-hour show. Or a two-week show. I just could have kept you <laughs> for two weeks and just talked. Well, it's hard to cover 56 years of a career. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's been such a, a gift, and it was so much fun talking. You're so easy to talk to. You you, you. you made this fun. And I look forward to the possibility of meeting you on Wednesday night. I hope you get there. I hope oh, it's a, get it's, a, there. it's a given. It's a definite. I will see you Wednesday night. Any of the listeners here, if you're listening in the next uh, today or if you're listening in the next day or so, come to the triad and you get to see Carol Demitz. You get to see Richard Skipper and you get to see Coach Andrew live in person hey, in the flesh. And we'll see you soon here on Coach's Corner. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thank you so much, Andrew. You're welcome. Good Good night. Good night, everybody.